listening to a Garden City Chapel podcast by Dr. Robert Shaw. For a complete archive of podcasts, visit our website at www.gardencitychapel.com. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. We'll read in just a moment from verses 23 and following. I had a youth pastor walk into my office this summer and he needed some help with his air conditioner on his bus. Now, he didn't expect me to fix it, but he was hoping I might know a mechanic. So I began telling him of a good guy that I knew that's a Christian that would be a good mechanic and, and his, he specializes in air conditioning, but I thought, you know, you can't get there from here. There's no way this guy's going to be able to get there. And so I'm, I'm trying to draw directions. And I finally just said, listen, when are you going? He said, I can go now. I said, let's go. And I got in my car and pulled over, and he and his bus followed me over to the mechanic's office. See, it's easier to get places when you follow people, isn't it? Unless you're following those kind of people that just buzz through like it, the light turns yellow, and you just, you know, they go through and you're stopped and thinking, well, it, it was good while it lasted. You're just hoping they'll remember you know, they'd gotten on their cell phone. They forgot you were following them. You know, well, that didn't happen on this day. He was able to follow me. We got over the mechanic, got his bus fixed. And it just reminded me of how much easier it is to follow somebody, especially if they know where they're going and they're not so far ahead of you that you can still see them. And that's really the message of the passage we're going to read this morning. Let me read just these few verses in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. And he was saying to them all, this is Jesus speaking, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. First point this morning is the invitation to follow. Jesus has been teaching. We've seen this in the book of Luke. Uh, He had taught them the Sermon on the Mount. He had been healing people. He now has people following him. And he's even begun teaching in parables and having people asked to explain the parable. And right before this passage, he's been explaining to his disciples that he would have to suffer. In fact, that he would be crucified and that he would be raised on the third day. Now, throughout this early part of Luke, in fact, in one instance, as he explains this to his disciples, we're just reminded they didn't get it yet. They didn't understand how Jesus was going to accomplish his mission as a savior if he died. And yet we read after the crucifixion, the disciples say, you know what, we get it now. After the resurrection, we understand. And so in the midst of him saying that, Jesus then looked to the people that were with him. And folks, we've seen it up to this point. People were coming from all over that area at that time to hear Jesus. Some of them were coming to be healed. But they left more than just healed of a physical ailment. They left healed spiritually. And so he had followers at this point. And so he offered up the conditions of what that meant. And first is the invitation. He said, if anyone wishes to come to me. Isn't that good news? It says that he says to everyone, he said to everyone that was listening to him, if you want to come to me, you can. If anyone wishes, if you have determined, if it's 
Something that you understand is a choice you need to make. You need to come to me. Then you can come. I'm reminded of the passage in Joshua. Where Joshua is speaking to the nation of Israel. It's on the brink of, uh, they've entered the promised land. And Joshua says, you know what? Now that we're here, you need to put away these other gods. And you need to serve the one true God. And then I love what he says in Joshua. He says, if it's disagreeable in your sight, then choose for this day whom you will serve. And that's what Jesus is asking. He's asking, are you really going to follow me? Not just when I'm healing you. Not just when I'm giving you something to eat, because he had just fed the 5,000 not, not too long before this. But are you really going to become a follower of me? Well, that brought up some thoughts in my mind this week just about following. First is this. If, if I'm following Jesus, here's the good news. He's leading. I'm not. And I don't know what your picture of following Jesus is. Jesus doesn't get so far out there. He's not running red lights to get away from you. In fact, you know what? You can follow somebody that's standing right beside you. So I don't get this picture that Jesus is way out there saying, come on, catch up. I believe Jesus is walking step by step with us. And so he's leading. I'm not. I don't even have to know the way. I don't have to know what's there when I get there. He's leading. Secondly, He knows the way. That's the good news. You know, the disciples, when Jesus met with them in the upper room, and He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to Myself, because where I am, that's where you're going to be for eternity. And Thomas spoke up and said, Jesus, we don't even know where you're going, much less the way to get there. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I'm the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So not only is Jesus leading, but Jesus knows the way. And then last, thought about following Jesus. You're drawn to become a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In fact, later in that chapter, verse 65 of John 6 says, For this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Here's the good news. As you respond to Jesus, it's because the Father has been drawing you to himself. That's what following is all about. That's what him being the leader is all about. Let's look at the conditions of it because he goes on and says, Well, if anyone wants to follow me, here's what you need to do. You need, first of all, to deny yourself. What does that mean? It means to contradict or disavow, literally reject yourself. It means this. It means you were walking away from God and your pursuits were all about you. You were the center of the universe as far as you were concerned. It was all about what can I do to make me happy. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way this is going to work. I'm not going to follow you. You're going to follow me. And so in order to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must stop heading the way you were heading. And you must turn and follow me. That's what repentance is all about. Now, I've spoken to youth groups for a long time. For ten years, that's pretty much all I did. And I love the testimony after camp when the youth would get up and say, God got a hold of my life and he turned my life around 360 degrees. And I'm one of those that think about what people say. And I'm thinking, okay, that means you were walking away from God. You turned... And you're still walking away from God. Well, no, the, the turn is 180. 
That's what's required to follow Christ. That means denying yourself. That means all the things that I once held dear, those aren't going to be number one in my life anymore. That's not where the priority is in my life anymore. Do you know people like that? One of the stories that I read this week thinking about our service men and women. Because that's what they've done. They've denied themselves to serve the country. I want to read one about an Army specialist, Scott Quentin Larson, Jr. Listen to his story. The flag that covered his coffin lies boxed on the television set with shell casings from the salute fired in his honor. His medals shine from a display case along with the grinning portrait that sat beside his empty combat boots, inverted rifle, helmet, and dog tags the day his Army buddies in Iraq filed past to say goodbye. Two and a half years after he was killed in an ambush in Baghdad, Specialist Scott Quentin Larson, Jr. still fills the modest home of his parents, Scott and Mary Larson, and their three other children in the northwestern suburbs of Houston. The city of Houston has suffered the greatest number of American deaths. Standing six foot four, 255 pounds when he enlisted and 197 pounds after basic training, he looms from photos that line the walls, along with a poem and favorite Bible verse from Psalm 144, beginning... Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Remembering her son, Ms. Larson, age 52, a school administrator, grew misty-eyed. A day does not go by, she said as her voice trailed off. When I wake up, when I'm getting dressed, I see his picture. Mr. Larson, a broker for property and casualty insurance, nodded in agreement. There's six of us, and one of us is not here, he said. That's never going to change, but he said, we're just so grateful for the 22 years we had with him. That's when it started, she said, recalling her son's declaration several months later as he joined the Army. Okay, this is it. It's my duty to my country. Trained as an elite cavalry scout, he was manning the heavy gun on a Humvee, escorting Iraqi troops near the Baghdad airport on April 5th when the convoy drove into an ambush. He died eight hours later. No one else in the unit was even injured, but that week proved to be the deadliest of the war until, until then for American forces, which killed 64. Their son, a born-again Christian and an avid member of their congregation, was not afraid of dying, they said. He began every mission with a prayer that if anyone was to be killed, it should be him, because I know where I'm going. I read that and I thought, wow, for a military man or woman to serve our country really is about denying themselves. And saying, my desires for the next four years of my life are not what's important. My service is. You translate that into us as believers. When we say, I'm going to follow Jesus, we deny ourselves, And we say, what I need and what I want is no longer the priority. It's not the most important thing in my life. But what's most important now is following Him. In fact, it really means this. It means taking your wants and desires off the throne and allowing Jesus to claim his rightful place on the throne. Not only does he say, deny yourself, he says this. He says, take up your cross daily. Take up your cross. That doesn't have quite the visual image for us that it would have for his disciples. See, his disciples had seen people take up their cross before. It meant a one-way journey to death. It meant something that was horrible. It meant something that was scandalous. 
to be carrying a cross meant that you were convicted of something and you were going to die. I thought again about what it cost for our freedom in this country, and I was reading about our Declaration of Independence. Have you ever wondered what happened to those original signers of the Declaration of Independence? Listen to this. Five signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons serving in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the Revolutionary War. They all signed and pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Well, again, that's a reminder from our history about men who stood up and said, I'll pay the price. I'll count the cost and understand that putting my name on this document may cost me something. Men and women, all I want to remind you of this morning is coming to Christ and receiving Him as Lord and Savior cost Him everything. So don't think that there's some kind of easy believism that we just say, you know, I'm going to join the church. I'll be a member and I'll occupy space in the church. No, Jesus calls for more than that. In fact, I don't ever see him call you to join a church. Now, I think it's a good thing. But what I see him say is, follow me. In fact, that is the number one quoted saying of Jesus in the Gospels. The thing he says most in the Gospels. He said it to his disciples. Then he said it to those who came and were listening to him. He said, follow me. And to do that means denying yourself, and it means taking up your cross every single day. It means denying yourself every day. He didn't say do it once a week. You know, for the good church members, they're there every Sunday. Some are just kind of Easter and Christmas Christians. You know, they're there twice a year. He didn't say that. On special occasions, take up your cross. No. He said do it every day. What does that mean? That means every day you ought to start your day remembering Christ is your Savior. He's in control and you're not. He's God. And that day you're saying, I, I deny myself. And I'm going to follow you. How do we do that in a practical way? I just encourage you practically. Are you spending time in the morning just reading your Bible and, and praying? We call it a quiet time. Are you doing that? I know some of you say, I'm too busy to do it in the morning. Well, it's okay with me if you study your Bible at night. But every morning you need to find time in the morning when you know that you're awake. For some of you it's when the alarm clock goes off. Some of you are just morning people. Anybody like that here? Just you wake up, ding, and it's just, I'm married to a morning person. I'm not a morning person. I'm one of those that the first half of my life when my mom would wake me up, I learned to communicate with her without ever opening my mouth. And so I have to, I have to like get in the shower to know that I'm awake. And it's a good idea to wake up when you're in the shower, you'll drown. For some of you, I recommend you take a shower in the morning. It'd be a good idea. So for me, it's that. When the water hits my face, it's just a reminder. Lord, thank you for a brand new day. And God, I want to remind myself today, I'm dependent on you. I'm denying myself. Today is not about what I want to accomplish, but God, I'm giving it to you. I'm not even going to be worried about three days down the road. I'm just going to think about today. God, what do you want to do in my life today? How do you want to use me today? My answer is yes. I'll do whatever you ask. I encourage you to do that. Now, there's times that I get out of the shower and I've had a great time with God, but I can't remember if I washed my hair or not. That ever happened to y'all? You know, I've gotten to that age, you know, where I walk out and I'm going, did I wash my, my hair? My wet. That's a good sign. Y'all ever done that? Have you ever had to get back in the shower 
because you forgot to wash your hair? I've done that recently and, and squirted shampoo in your hand. And as soon as you did that, you thought, this feels familiar. I think I've already washed my hair. So then what do you do with a handful of shampoo? You try to get it back in the bottle. <laughs> how many, be honest, how many of you have ever tried to do that? I don't know if you're supposed to unscrew the cap and scoop it or use the suction method, you know, where you go ahead and squeeze the bottle and it try to do that. Have you all ever done that? This guy raised his hand. I'm thinking, what are you using shampoo for? <laughs> okay, all right, I understand. <laughs> Thank you. He's with me. I appreciate that. I'm kind of like you are too. I'm like, you know, just floss it. You don't really have to wash it. You what? Oh, rag and soap this morning. All right. Well, all I'm saying is this. I don't know if for you it's the cup of coffee. I don't know if it's getting on a school bus. I don't know if it's mom rolling up the shades. That's how my mom used to wake me up. Singing and hitting the little thing that rolled up and sunlight hits me in the eyes. Whatever it is, start every single day by saying, okay, God, I deny myself. And God, today I take up my cross. I'm following you. I recognize that you're my Savior. And it's not about me anymore. It's about you. Now, into that, God ushers joy. God gives you things like joy and peace and patience and love and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God gives you every good and perfect gift. But that's not the priority of your life anymore. Jesus says to take up your cross daily. And then he says that quote that he says most often, follow me. To imitate Jesus means that you go where Jesus went and you do what Jesus shows you to do. You've seen the bracelets, the WWJD bracelets. They're great. What would Jesus do? I asked my children one day, I said, would Jesus wear a WWJD bracelet? And they said, one of them said, no, he would wear a WWID bracelet. (laughs) What would I do? (laughs) I thought that would be really cool to come out with those and like find a statue of Jesus and put them on his arm, you know. What would I do? Well, you know what Jesus did? Read it in the Gospel of John about ten times. It says this, I do nothing on my own accord. I do only what the Father shows me to do. He said it about ten different times in ten different ways. Here's what Jesus was saying. I'm under the authority of the Father. Yes, I'm God, but I'm God's Son. I'm under His authority. That's what I will do. So whether you wear the bracelet or not, the motto of our life ought to be, am I going where Jesus would go? Am I doing what Jesus would do? Am I saying what Jesus would say? Am I truly following Him? Is He in the lead? And so the last thing then is the reasons to follow. Jesus makes it plain then in 24 and following. Listen, if you wish to save your life, you'll lose it. Because see, if you start doing the math and Jesus says you've got to deny yourself, you've got to take up your cross and follow Me, you start thinking, well, I may not get what I want out of that. Jesus is saying, you know what? If you try to hold on with all of your might to all of your stuff, and to your life, and you put yourself first. There's going to come a day when you can't hold on to that stuff. Go out today and grab a handful of ocean. And the harder you squeeze, what happens? The more it runs out. And I promise you, you're not going to be able to grab a handful of ocean. You might grab some sand, but if you grab water and try to walk back over here with it, it's gone by the time you get here. I want that to be the mental picture that we have every time we say no to Jesus and think, no, I'm not going to deny myself today. I'm going to indulge. Jesus says, whoever wishes to save his life is going to lose it. And then the second most 
often used saying of Christ is this, but whoever loses his life for my sake. For those who say, I abandon my life, I abandon my rights, I become a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not about me anymore. Jesus says when you do that, you actually will save it. In fact, the word for losing it, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. It's the same word that's used in John 3.16 when John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not lose it, would not perish, would not be destroyed utterly and fully, but they would have life. And to save it means to be saved or delivered or protected. See, the paradox is the harder you try to save your life is the surety that you're going to lose it. It's when you abandon your rights and you say, you know what? It's not about me anymore. It's about Christ. I will follow Him. And then he says this. He says, whoever is ashamed of me, anybody that feels disgrace over me, literally the root word is disfigurement. It would be somebody that has been disfigured that was ashamed of that. And Jesus is saying, if you look on me as someone that's disfigured, and because of that you're ashamed, you don't want to be identified with me, then I'm going, to be, I'm going to be ashamed of you. And if you're ashamed of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed when He comes in His glory and the glory of the Father and the glory of the holy angels. When I read that this week and understood that the word ashamed meant disfigured, I thought, you know what? Jesus was disfigured. He was literally beaten to a pulp and then placed on a cross. And for a time, his disciples were ashamed. In fact, they were afraid. They went and hid. The only one we see at the cross was John, who Jesus addresses from the cross. In fact, Peter was the one that said, you know what? I won't deny you. I won't be ashamed of you, even if it cost me my life. And Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me not once, but three times. And he did. So what does that mean for us? When Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me and my word, do you look at Christ as one of those things that you just want to compartmentalize and it's okay to act like and look like a Christian on Sunday at church, but the rest of the week you really don't want anybody to know where you were on Sunday? In reality, you're basically saying, I'm, I'm really ashamed of Christ. Kind of like some of your relatives. You know, I never wanted to take any of my friends to my family reunions because you had to explain too much. I was a little ashamed of some of them. Folks, we can't be that way about Christ. You need to own up to it. Hey, it's a good thing. He is my Savior. There's nothing about the grace of Jesus Christ that I would be ashamed about. Or His Word. So let me ask this question. Are you reading His Word? Maybe you wouldn't say, no, I'm ashamed of it. I'm not going to read it. But you're doing the same thing when you say, well, you know what, I, I really hadn't read my Bible in a long time. Do you know where your Bible is? Do you read it? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, I want you to open your Bible, and I just want you to remember, hey, I'm not ashamed of this. This is the words of life. This is how I know Jesus, and I want to know Him more. And I'm not going to be ashamed for anybody to know I'm reading His Bible. When I pray over lunch, I'm not going to act like I dropped my fork so nobody knows that's what I'm doing on the way down. I'm going to close my eyes and pray. I'm going to claim the name of the one who died for me. And Jesus says, 
The ones that are ashamed of me now, I'll be ashamed of them. In fact, in Matthew, he puts it this way. He said, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who's in heaven. Here's the good news. You claim Jesus now. One day he's coming back to claim you. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me.